Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm not here to waste your time. Okay? I certainly hope you're not here to waste mine. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Two little mice found in a bucket of cream. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. Be water, my friend. Welcome to Unstrategic, the podcast about digital strategy. Hey guys, I'm your host, Adam James Lamagna, and today we're going to chat about performing a UX audit without any analytics data. Now, UX audits are also called a UX analysis, a UX review, so all these terms are going to be interchangeable on today's episode. I'm sure we've all had clients that come aboard and their old web agency did not set up their analytics account, or maybe the previous agency is hijacking their analytics account because they did set it up and aren't giving the client access because they're leaving them, which is just poor business. So we've all had those clients that need our help but don't have any historical data around their web metrics, and they aren't getting the desired amount of business that they want to get through their websites. So what do you do in that type of scenario? Well, one of the first things I like to do is perform a UX audit or analysis or review, and you can make these short or long, surface level or in-depth, depending on how much time, resources, and budget is available. Oftentimes, at my current company, we'll do these analyses before a client comes aboard so we can understand what we're working with and what needs to be fixed. There are a number of different methodologies you can use for this type of exercise, and we're going to walk through a number of them today. Before I get started, there is a downloadable resource that's included in the episode notes, or you can go to unstrategic.com perform UX audit. We'll take a quick break. If you want to stop the podcast and download the resource, please do so now. All right, so performing a user experience audit can be a really fun task. It can also be daunting, especially if we don't have any analytics data to gauge current web behavior. Now, I know you've heard me talk about web analytics before, and these can be very valuable, but there are several prominent methodologies that can help with UX audits. I'm going to walk through the following during this podcast episode. So we're going to touch really quickly on using web analytics for a UX audit, but this is not going to be the focus. The focus is going to be around six different method types. So UX best practices, user flows, heuristics, a technical analysis, UX UI trends, and then finally benchmarking. We need to look at website challenges from multifaceted viewpoints. All data, both quantitative and qualitative, can inform your decisions around information architecture, design, user paths, and much, much more. A lot of what we're going to cover today will concentrate on qualitative data. Quantitative data would be things like analytics, you know, numbers, statistics. But I'll point out which is which as we move through the methods. If you have web analytics data, then great. It can be really helpful in performing a UX audit. 
the purpose of using analytics data is to determine the following things. So types of users, acquisition channels, behavior and user flow, types of devices used, conversion rates and revenue data, things like event tracking for unique events if that's set up, and then you can dive in deeper uh, with things like secondary dimensions. So you can glean a lot of info by looking at your analytics data, and I'm thinking about doing a Google Analytics episode. I just haven't figured out how to present that information yet because a screen share would be the ideal way to do it, and that probably wouldn't translate well into a podcast episode unless I create a really good resource for it. So stay, stay tuned on the Google Analytics episode, and if I get enough requests for it, I'll make sure to do it. But remember, this podcast episode is about how to perform a UX audit without any analytics data. So let's dive in. One of the most widely used methodologies is called UX best practices, and it's exactly how it sounds. I use this quite often when I work with clients. So we will do an analysis based on current UX best practices. Things you should consider before or during your analysis are things like you know, concentrating on the user experience. Try to look at the website from a user's perspective. Understand the audience, so who is your client trying to cater to or connect with? Websites should be clear, concise, and simple for your users. We don't want to reinvent the wheel on anything, right? So if there is a proven feature that works, then use them as intended, like a sign-up form or a cross-sell section. And then focus should be on the most important elements, and these should revolve around the business goals of the client and the user needs of the user. Use common sense. Websites should be easy to find, have useful content, functionality should be usable, the site should look and feel credible, etc. Now every industry and every type of website, so e-commerce, marketing site, blogging site, are going to have their own best practices. So you'll need to do some research on what those are. You'll have to search for best practices in the industry or the type of site. And then once you do that, you kind of make sure that your, your, you know, the website has all the fundamentals in place. And then you can iterate on those fundamentals once you have some analytics data set up and you've you know, been working with your client for a number of months. You can go back and, and do another UX audit dependent on what the web metrics are saying. The second methodology we'll talk about are called user flows. Simply put, user flow is the path a user takes to complete a task. Many websites will have several user flows. So analyzing this process can be a very effective way of determining bottlenecks and improving the experience. Things that you should consider before and during your analysis. One, craft ideal user flow diagrams and think about the goals of the user, the values of the user, so what do they find valuable, information needed to complete the task, and then potential barriers hindering the completion of the task. And then two, diagram each way to get to the end goal. There will be different paths to reach the same goal, and this is actually called delinearity in the web space. Users will take their own paths at their own leisure to complete a goal. So give users the opportunity to get there in a way that is most comfortable to them. So remember the common elements when analyzing user flows, things like fast page load times, 
focusing on pushing users through a funnel, but allowing them different paths, you know, having compelling content, all of this will help your users complete the goals and give you areas to improve upon. The third methodology we're going to talk about is called heuristics. A heuristic evaluation is a usability inspection method to help identify usability issues in the UI design of a website. Now, the Nielsen Group's heuristic evaluation is one of the most widely used in practice today, and I do have a link to that resource in the resource or in the deck that's with the podcast. If we follow the heuristic evaluation, I'll quickly run through these points, but you want to hit on 10 different principles. So the first is visibility of system status. We want to keep users informed, obviously things like navigation and where they are. Uh, two is match between system and the real world. So we need to speak the user's language. We don't want to use nomenclature that doesn't make sense to a user. Three user control and freedom. So we need to support things like undo and redo, right? We want to support their control and, and give the user freedom. Uh, four is consistency and standards. So we want to follow platform conventions. And there are a number of platform conventions. And again, the link is in the document. Five is error prevention. And these are slips and mistakes. Slips are basically when users intend to perform one action, but end up doing another action like, you know, clicking a book now button when they really meant to click the learn more button right next to it because the buttons look the same. And then there are mistakes and mistakes are made when users have goals that are inappropriate for the current task. So basically, you know, mistakes are conscious errors and usually arise when a user has incomplete or incorrect information about the task. An example of this would be a user who types in a search query on a blogging site and spells the query incorrectly and receives a not found result. It's a mistake because they don't have all the information. They don't know the correct way to spell the query. And this is where, you know, something like autocomplete would come in handy. Six is recognition rather than recall, meaning it's better for a user to recognize something than it is to have them recall it. And that's because there are more cues involved in recognition than recall, making it easier to retrieve the memory of it and act upon it. Seven, flexibility and efficiency of use, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, eight is aesthetic and minimalist design. And then nine and 10 are help users recognize, diagnose, and recover from errors and documentation. There's a lot of information out there about heuristics, and it's just a cool thing to learn about and know because it applies to more than just websites. So check out Jacob Nielsen's heuristic evaluation and use it as a part of your next UX audit. Okay, so the fourth method we'll talk about is uh, technical analysis. And a technical analysis is a little different from the other methodologies that we've talked about so far. It really aims to evaluate the technical limitations and hurdles that will impact the design. Things you should consider before and during your analysis are things like your technology stack efficiencies and limitations. So what are the pros? What are the cons? Are there any design elements currently on the site that are hard to manage and optimize because of the tech stack? You want to look at performance barriers. So 
Is design slowing things down with high-resolution imagery or heavy data loads with video or interaction? Are there third-party integrations, and if so, are all of these necessary for a good user experience? Do they hit some user need or some business goal? You also want to look at the content management experience. So what does that look like, and how is the site being managed, maintained, and updated now? And then, obviously, you want to look at the code. Is the code written with proper semantic markup? Is there good, you know, solid technical SEO? Technology can have a huge impact on design and the flow of your website. Remember that you don't want to get into technical debt by using antiquated technology or unnecessary integrations. The fifth methodology we'll talk about is called UX UI trends. I like using this methodology too. Design is always changing, right? The design community is always finding better ways to do something, display something, present something. UX UI trends is a type of analysis that will evaluate a current website based on new design trends and look for ways to leverage more innovative opportunities. Things you'll want to consider before and during your analysis are, you know, compile a list of new design UX UI trends. There's plenty of resources for that. And then you'll want to think about will site users benefit from any of these trends? Will any of these trends help with completing a task or a goal of the website? Will any of these trends help with our business goals? And then you'll want to determine which features, elements, and layouts of the site can benefit from these new UX UI trends. It's almost like doing a small uh, gap analysis, right? So it's important to remember that you don't need to implement a new trend if it won't help with a user goal or a business goal. So don't change something just because it's a trend. That trend will need to fill a purpose. All right, the last method we'll talk about is benchmarking. And benchmarking is evaluating a website by comparison with another website or a standard. For example, you can benchmark the website with its competitors or the best in business to get valuable insight into how to make the website better. Things you should consider before and during your analysis is first, create a list of similar websites, both competitors and the best in business. Second, evaluate the pros and cons of each website while comparing, contrasting that to the primary website. Use both qualitative and quantitative data, right? So qualitative data would be things like deductive observations. An example of that would be something like, the process seems to take too long. Quantitative data is numerical and statistical. So an example of that would be the number of steps it takes to complete a goal. You can compare and contrast those to get quantitative data. After conducting this type of analysis, you'll have plenty of recommendations to improve the primary website that should make it better than the competition. We've talked about six different methodologies for performing a UX audit without any analytics data. I'd like to highlight a few tips I think are useful. Performing a UX audit doesn't mean that you just put together a list of usability issues. You will need to organize, prioritize, and deliver clearly defined action items to improve your client's website.
It's important to articulate the usability flaws of a website in a productive way. You should do the following for a good UX audit report. You need to identify the flaw, categorize the flaw based on scale, so you know, call it a cosmetic issue, a minor issue, a critical issue, recommend the solution and explain how it meets the goals of either the business or the user. You'll need to find opportunities for user engagement and conversion, and then make an action plan. So three things that I usually focus on when I'm doing UX audits are business goals, user needs, and opportunities to engage and convert. So business goals are simply, you know, specific objectives that help grow a business. They oftentimes come in the form of what's called SMART goals. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. These goals will drive decisions around website design. User needs are requirements that add value to their experience on a website. It's important to understand users' problems, processes, goals, and preferences. User needs will also drive design decisions, opportunities to engage and convert. UX audits are about finding and fixing usability issues, but they should also present opportunities to engage and convert users better. Find the flaws, but offer some opportunities as well. Finally, guys, I do have a mock, very short UX audit included with the resource. And basically, I used my podcast website, unstrategic.com, as an example. So when I start off with UX audits, I'll basically have an intro page explaining what we're doing. It will outline the user experience approach. So we used you know, the UX best practices and UX UI trends evaluation. And I usually like to say that the UX analysis was looked at through the user, business, and expert perspectives. What this means is that when you go through your UX audit of your site or a client's site, you really need to try and put yourself in the shoes of a user, in the shoes of your client or the business, and then you need to look at the site from your own eyes, the expert. When you're doing a UX analysis, you're really looking at it from three different perspectives. Now, this is, you know, it's inevitably going to bring in some biases. So I'd suggest that if you're doing a very in-depth audit and the client has a, a, a good budget, you might want to get an actual user to look at the website and gauge what problems they might have. This could be a friend who's never visited the website. It could be your dad if he falls within the user base. The point is that you, being the expert, probably already have some preconceived notions about the website. So you'll be good to get a sense of the flaws of the site from an expert and business perspective, but maybe not a user perspective. Just keep that in mind. And again, things are going to depend on time, resources, and budget. The UX audit just outlines which pages or features with screenshots have usability flaws or could leverage opportunity. We want to relate those flaws and opportunities back to the user or the business. Then we want to denote the scale, so major, minor, etc. And then on the same page, we can recommend actions. Now, you don't have to present the UX analysis this way. There are plenty of resources online, just Google UX audit templates, and you'll find plenty of them out there.
All right, so I need to give credit where it's due. While putting together the resource, the PDF online, I did use some cool graphics on the website freepick.com. It's spelled F-R-E-E-P-I-K.com. Check it out. Uh, there are some really cool uh, free icons to use and different graphics. Okay, everyone. As always, I hope this episode was helpful. If you are listening to the podcast, we would love to have you rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. If there is any digital strategy subject you'd like us to tackle, please reach out to us on social or email. Guys, I'm your host, Adam James Lamagna, and we will be back in a few weeks with another episode. So thanks for joining this week, and we'll see you all soon. Cheers. Cheers.